0: Hmm. Um, How do we want to do? Okay. Uh, 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 Turn to Isaiah chapter 35 with me, if you would, please. And um, uh, actually, I'm going to have you all stand back up out of reverence to the word of God. If you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 35 and we're going to read two verses there. And then we're going to turn to first Thessalonians chapter four and read uh, a handful of verses there. Um, Isaiah chapter 35, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. As Isaiah the prophet is speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says in verse 8, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for others. And whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. You'll turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians comes right before Second Thessalonians. <laughs> that, that's a bit of a joke there, just kind of. A little bit. <laughs> so, First <laughs> Thessalonians chapter four. If you get to Timothy, you've gone too far. Get past Colossians, and you're right about there. It's page one, uh, 1416 in my Bible. <laughs> All right, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse one. Again, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, and he says, "Finally, then." Brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do, who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Here it is now. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, the word this morning. Uh, thank you, God, for this particular um, principle of holiness and uh, the reality that at this very moment in heaven the angels are flying around your throne and they are crying holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come and and Lord we know that you're a holy God and we know that you have called us to a holy walk so, God, by your grace, through the work of your Holy Spirit, we want you to impress that upon our hearts more than just intellectually. We want you to impress it upon our hearts in such a way that your spirit is able to write upon our hearts what you call us to and that we would respond to that calling, that we would live out what we hear. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So um, my name is Tony Maganya, and I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Yakima, Washington. And so <clears throat> we have desired to come and see Don and Lori for a few years, and uh, I finally was able to do that, and um, I said to my wife, we're going to jump in the car and we're going to take off. She said, good, so what's the itinerary? And I said, there is no itinerary. She said, what's the schedule? I said, there is no schedule. Where are we staying? I said, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. Now, if you know my wife, that's not the way she does things. She's very task-oriented, objective-oriented, you know, oriented, getting the job done. And so it was fun to watch her for the next couple of days work through that. I, on the other hand, am just the opposite. I say, let's just go and see what happens, and God will take care of us. So it's been fun to see it play out. And here we are about a week later, and uh, it's been fun. We've been traveling across the country 3,400 miles later. Here we are. And I've got to tell you this about the South. I was here in the South back in the 70s, and I was in the military, and I was at Redstone Arsenal and all, and um, I forgot how many churches you guys have down here. You guys are out of control, okay? There's not that many people to have that many churches. It's impossible. I mean, there's a church on every corner, and, and the names, I mean, you guys have got to the point where you've got to get names for the churches. They're just, you've run out of Baptist. You've got to drop the Baptist thing. Go on. Anyway, I love the fact that there are that many churches. There's some massive, massive churches down here in in the South. And so we visited some friends in Arkansas and we're kind of coming across the top of Mississippi and, and Alabama and just, we marveled. I mean, there are some massive buildings out here. Lots of believers. Praise God, huh? We sure need believers these days. And so... Um, we've been traveling and just enjoying it. I want to tell you real quick, my wife, who was the worship leader this morning, um, we've been married for about 30 years, and uh, we're still madly in love after all this time. We have two girls, two daughters, and uh, they're 26 and 27, and uh, both are going to school and college up in western Washington. And so um, I pastor a church in a town called Yakima, and uh, you know we've got a a good little group there and stuff. And I, and I told our assistants, I said, I'm leaving and uh, you better get some teachers for me. And uh, so they I said, they said, how long? And I said, get four of them. And their eyes got kind of big. And they said, you've never done this before. And I said, I know, isn't that fun? And they said, no, not really. We don't want you gone that long. When you leave, the numbers go down and people get skittish. And I said, well, that's not my problem. It's not my church. I'm just a steward. I don't own it. They're not my sheep. That's God's problem. And they didn't like that. And so anyway, I said, get me four speakers. They lined up four guys and, and then some guys for our Sunday night service. And then they said, when are you coming back? And I said, well, just make sure if you need a fifth speaker, you're able to find one. And, and then I said that kind of playfully, tongue in cheek. And then my assistant took me aside just before we, we left. And he said, you are coming back, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this fellow, we've been together for a long time, and, and uh, I said, maybe, and then walked away. And there's a part of that in me that says, you know, I love to travel, and I think all us guys, we like adventure, don't we guys? We like the idea of adventure. We want to sail the seven seas and see the seven great wonders of the world, and we want to conquer all, don't we? I mean, that's just, it's, it's in our heart to do that. And I haven't been able to travel in a long, long time, and so to finally break loose, And just take off. By the way, this guy in our church, he gave us his Cadillac to drive. Is that not the coolest? (laughs) So we're driving down the road in this big old boat of a car. You know, we have like a Honda. And here's this Cadillac. I'm looking back wondering if I'm, you know, is the rest with us? I mean, is that back coming? And uh, anyway, so it's been great. It's like driving a boat down the road and we're nice and comfy. We have not turned on the radio one time in this trip. We've not plugged in a CD We've just kind of spent time together, and it's been a lot of fun. So um, let's see. There's a couple of greetings down south here I've learned. There's like, hey. Right? Everybody hey. Hey. You know, on the West Coast, we're like, what's up, dude? Hey. You know, whatever. Surf's up or whatever. But out here, it's just, hey. Okay. And then there's like Roll Tide. Yep. <laughs> right? So, so I said to this gal, I was over having breakfast with Dawn, and I said, so what's this thing with Roll Tide? And she was like, look, you're not from around here. Right? I'm not. She says, when you want to kind of break the ice and whatever, you say, roll tide. And I was like, oh, okay. So let's try it. I'll like, say, roll tide. good. Roll okay. And then the other one is war eagle. Yeah. Right? I got the other one. I got the other one, right? A friend of mine in the DEA, he, was, uh, he's from, uh, he went to Auburn you know, University. And so he, he told me all about the eagle and flying around and that particular thing. I guess the poor thing ran into a window this year. Did you guys hear about that? So War eagle. And uh, don't take it. you know, pray for the eagle, I guess. I, uh, see, I'll, I'll make you mad and tell you I'm a USC fan, but just, I was in Arkansas visiting, I am going to get to the message, I was in Arkansas visiting a friend, he's a pastor over there, and and I said, boy, didn't didn't USC come to Arkansas Arkansas and beat him like 44 to nothing? And he said, no, it was 44 to seven. Oh, okay, well, that's good. Good for you. You got seven and And uh, anyway... Um, I want to talk to you this morning. Um, by the way, we love Don and Lori. We just absolutely are some of our closest friends, if not closest friends. And uh, there's very few people that we get around that we feel like we just pick up the conversation where it was the last time we saw them. It's There's like no time in between. And so um, we have just absolutely loved to. I said to my wife, we're going to Don and Lori's. That's the destination. And so uh, you know, we made it and it's been absolutely wonderful here. You guys have a great community. We love everything about We were sitting sitting on their back porch and I took a little video with my camera and I sent it to my daughters and both of them texted back within five minutes and they said, When do we move? And and the thing is, they're adults. It's like you, you don't live with us anymore. But and in fact when we were leaving, they said, We will be at the house when you leave to go with you. And I said to my wife, your husband aware that you're coming on a road trip with us? Nah, forget him. She says, You're not going without us and all. And so anyway, um, let's talk about this issue of holiness and and we live in an era and in a time when um It seems to me, and this is just my personal opinion and I'm a nobody, but it just seems from where I'm standing that Christians are really uh, exercising their liberties in the body of Christ. And Paul says both in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 or 10 rather that we get to exercise our liberties. He says we have all liberties in Christ, but not all liberties are expedient and not all liberties are helpful, but we do have all liberties in Christ. And that means freedoms. We have all freedoms in Christ. You have freedom. If you want to, you know, go out and express that freedom and it's not sin to you, you can in fact do that. But I think we live in an era and a time that Christians are exercising too much freedom and they're using that freedom under the guise that, you know, we have liberties in Christ, but there's an exchange with that. If you say, I'm going, to go, you know, I'm going to go have a beer, you know, and if you drink, that's between you and the Lord. I gave it up a while back, and I just don't do it anymore. Because as I watch and see, I, I, the end product is not good. Now you say, well, I might have a beer, but I don't get drunk. Well, good for you. You say, I might have a glass of wine, but I don't get drunk. Good for you, and I'm not trying to condemn you. understand that. Enjoy yourself. If it's not sin to you, it's not sin to you. You're free. Enjoy your freedom. However, let's say you go out into a restaurant and you have a beer out there and some young Christian sees you. Well, and they go, wow, that's so-and-so. Isn't, isn't that Lance? And doesn't he go to Calvary Chapel and wait a second, I'm stumbled because I see this guy drinking beer and I thought he was a Christian. Now Lance is over there having his beer saying, hey, but I don't get drunk and it's all Cool. But all of a sudden, they've just stumbled somebody and they're completely unaware of it. Lance has no idea what's happened, but nonetheless it's happened. And in expressing those freedoms, there is the stumbling of the younger brother. And I think that, that when we say, I'm going to express my freedoms, I'm going to enjoy my liberties, the danger is that and the danger of moving away from holiness. And I think that there is this wonderful power To be had in this environment of holiness. God is a holy God. Now, I hope that's not news to you. God is a holy God. All that God does springs out of a foundation of holiness. His love is from a foundation of holiness. His grace is from a foundation of holiness. His forgiveness is from a foundation of holiness. All that God does springs out of, if you will, a foundation of holiness. God is holy and in his holiness he calls you and I to a holy walk. You say what does that look like? How does that work? I would suggest to you that holiness can be defined this way. Holiness is an acute an acute awareness of sin. Holiness is an acute awareness of sin. In other words, you are aware of what sin will do to you and what it will do to someone else and you do something about that sin. That's not to say that there's not sin in your life. Wouldn't we all love to be sinless? But the reality is we're all sinners. Some of you sinned even before you got here, right? Bless you for nodding your head You're The only one that did it. The rest of you guys are good poker players. <laughs> we all sinned this morning, didn't we? If we didn't do it you know, outwardly, we did it in our heart or we did it in our mind in some way. We're sinners. We're sinners. But to say, look, I'm aware of that sin and I immediately take that sin to the Lord. And if I don't do it, then I ask God to make me aware of it so that I do do that. So that I don't hang on to sin nor do I let sin abide in me. Is that a fair statement? Is that a fair statement? In in our in my church, there's a lot of interaction. I can see that that's not the case here, right? So I want a little, a little you know, I don't. If I'm going off in some distance, and your guys just sit there going, "That guy is whacked. Where is he going with that?" I would rather someone go, "Hey, you're drifting, buddy. Oh, oh, got you. To get back to where I should be." So I look for a little re- interaction with you. Is that a fair statement? You forgot the statement. (laughs) What statement? Is it fair to say on a practical level that holiness can be defined by having an acute awareness of sin? Sin in your life and sin and what it does to other believers' lives. Is that a fair statement? And then you move about and you go, look. And and by the way, I think there's such a thing as legalistic holiness, which all that does is point out sin in somebody else's life. Who needs that? I mean, we're well aware that we're sinners, aren't we? Gosh, they don't have to tell me about that. I look in the mirror and go, oh, Lord, help us all. But the reality is, is to have an awareness of what sin is doing to my fellow brother. That right kind of, of holiness is to grieve the heart, isn't it? When you see your fellow Christians struggling, when you see them at that place where they're just in, you know, you know that sin has them or you know that they're struggling with sin, that grieves you, doesn't it? And you say, oh, Lord, if there was something, if there was something I could do to alleviate that struggle, I would do it. And then in your own heart, when you struggle through certain things and you cry out at the end of the day and you say, Lord, I am broken. I am wrecked. I am in need. And I struggle. And I am disfigured by sin in my soul. And if you don't help me, I am never going to change. You see? And that's a sense of God's holiness in your life. And you look at 1 Thessalonians here. I want you to notice a couple things in 1 Thessalonians that I think is worth looking at here. In verse 1, notice at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 there, where he says at the very end of the verse, he says how you ought to walk and to please God. Doesn't that just sound good? To walk in such a way that when God looks at you, he says, I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with that son of mine right there. I'm pleased with that daughter of mine. When he sees your walk, you go, wow, I'm pleasing God. Isn't that our whole objective, this side of heaven? What must I do, Lord, to please you? That's simply it, isn't it? Isn't that the essence of our walk? Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And then notice in verse three, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your sanctification. That's a highfalutin theological word for your separateness from sin. And there's positional sanctification. I'm going to get all theological, but there's positional sanctification. That is that God has separated you unto himself. No one can take you from God. You belong to God. You're as saved as you're ever going to be. But then there's practical sanctification, right? Living this life out in a sinful world. And you say to yourself, Lord, I want to have a a sanctified life. I want a life that is separated to you. I want a life that is separate to you and separated from sin. Don't we all want that? that's my heart's cry, Lord. I mean, how many of us have struggled at the end of the day and we've struggled in a particular sin and we lay there with our heads on the pillow and we say, God, how long? Do you know what I mean? You say, I hate that, Lord. How long? How long? And to struggle for years... Even decades. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's get Pentecostal. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> and, and then look at verse 4. And I love this. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. What a beautiful statement. Notice in verse 7. I love this. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. That God called us to holiness that Isaiah said in chapter 35 that you've been called to walk on the highway of holiness, that it's a highway of holiness. It's a path of purity. It's a different kind of walk. It's a separate walk. It's separate from the rest of the world. It doesn't have to be an uptight walk. It doesn't have to be a, t- a kind of walk where you where you pretend to be something that you're not. It's a walk that says, look, this is all I am before the Lord and all that I'll ever be. And this is who he has. And he's changing me. And that's the walk of holiness. It is a walk of purity. It is a walk of separateness. It doesn't mean being uptight or, legalist or, anything, or legalistic or anything like that. It means to walk with the Lord. And can you imagine? And be careful with that. But can you just picture in your mind, as Dave Hunt guy, but you picture in your mind walking with God in the Garden of Eden? Can you just kind of get that for a second? You're walking with Jesus in the Garden of Eden. I mean, what that must have been like to walk with God, to converse with God, to bond with God. Can you imagine just being with God? And as wonderful as that was, can you imagine what the effect would have been on your life, the change, the influence that would have had upon you, and how you would have just enjoyed the Lord I like what h a Iron said. He said, The secret of Christian holiness is heart occupation with Christ himself, just occupied with the lord god god i mean when when we 're worshipping the Lord this morning, was your one thought was Lord? was your one thought God, or did you notice that your mind tried to drift on you? you ever notice that you're worshipping the Lord and then your mind's just off somewhere you 're thinking of a vacation in Disneyland? Oh, I love you, Lord, and Disney sounds really good, and Mickey Mouse. Oh, Lord, was that me? (laughs) Sorry about that. Or you ever worship the Lord and a bad thought goes through your head and you look around nobody saw that, right? (laughs) Holiness, uh, someone has said, has love for its essence, humility for its clothing, the good of others as its employment, and the honor of God as its end. You see, we are called to a holy life, and we live in a country consumed with trying to find fulfillment without holiness. We live in a culture that's consumed with trying to find fulfillment outside of the context of holiness. And I would suggest to you that that is impossible, that holiness is the key to Contentment. Now, that's bad enough if we look outside of the church and we go, of course, that's that way. I remember what I was like when I was unsaved. And yes, I was trying everything to fulfill that void. Got saved, came in the church, and then the Lord said, hey, I want you to walk a different kind of life. Well, what happens when that same culture that's outside in the world comes into the church and infects the church? And all of a sudden you find Christians that are unhappy and they won't live a holy life. And all of a sudden, the value of the church degrades. Have you noticed how irrelevant the church has become? I mean, we're, we're a big group, but uh, we're having very little effect. I would suggest to you the reason we're having a very little effect is because we're no longer holy. We're so busy as a church, and this is just my, my, my personal view. We're so busy as a church, speaking generally, trying to be relevant that we've lost our ability to be relevant we have become, in fact, irrelevant. And I would suggest to you this. Holiness is never out of fashion. That people look at holiness and they go, I don't know what that is, but it is something uniquely good. Even the sinner will go, I don't know what that is, but it is uniquely good. And I would suggest to you that the world is looking for that in the Christian church. But more often than not, if we're honest with ourselves, we're seeing with our leaders Failure, moral failure. We're seeing, you know, failure in the spirit, in the spiritual realm. We're seeing a lack of leadership. We're seeing just failure across the board. It is not enough to go to church. And I don't want to get all hard and heavy on you. I didn't come here to lay some kind of condemnation on you. But I don't think it's, I don't, you know, if we go to church and we're all buttoned down and we got it all put together and we look right and we go in there and we play church and we leave, but we don't really live it out, aren't we just fooling ourselves? And where's the real power to live? Where's the strength to go, you know what? I don't do that. Not because I'm a legalist, but because I think I know who God is and he's in love with me. And he said, look, stay close to me. Do you know what I mean? And God has called us to a walk of holiness. I love when Moses came in contact with God in the burning bush. What did God say to him? Moses, take your shoes off. Why? Holy ground. ground. He said, hey, you're on holy ground. Moses took his shoes off, fell straight down and went, oh no. Why? Because he suddenly an unholy man came into contact with a holy God. And if you just kind of track through the book of Exodus, there's periods and places as God is laying down the law that there is a mention of holiness. You you remember the high priest and his whole outfit and all that he would put on? Remember that gold plate he put on his turban? What did it say? Holiness to the Lord, didn't it? Oh, no. I was thinking about that. Could you imagine being the high priest and it was your turn? Right, and every year, once a year during Yom Kippur, you went inside there, and there on the right side was the bread. Left side was left side was the lampstand. In front of you was the ashes, you know, the incense, and then you went behind there into the holy of holies. And then you know they put little pomegranates on the bottom of your robe, and they tied a rope to you, just in case you were involved in sin. And then they go, oh, no, I don't hear any bells. Do you? No. Pull him out. You know, could you imagine if it was your turn and you'd been practicing sin? They like, go, okay, uh, Brother Shlomo, put your robe on. <laughs> you're going in. I mean, you'd think, oh, I've got to get got to get out of this. I got to get out of this i can not go in there. If I go in there, I'm a dead man. And you know it. And you put on that big golden plate over your turban and it says, Holiness to the Lord. And you tie it up and you're thinking, this is the end. I won't be coming out of here because I'm coming in contact with with a holy God. I think we we reserve the the word like holiness to certain people and individuals, like, you know, we say, we call the Pope your your holiness. Hey, look, no disrespect to the Pope, but we put our pants on the same way. He is no more holy than you are, right? And so you go, look, uh, (laughs) well, I told Don, he, he asked me, he said, how should I introduce you? And I said, well, right, Reverend, your holy bishop of Yakima, what now? But, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we say holy, it was saints, great old saints of holiness. But, gosh, aren't we called to be saints of holiness? Hasn't God said, look, I saved you by the blood of my son and I call you to a holy walk? Isn't that just the reality of what God is doing? And then he says, look, separate yourself now, separate yourself Unto me and and and, you know, I I think that Maybe that's been lessened a little bit in the churches. I don't know. I don't know I speak of, of just from my own position It seems like we live in such an immoral culture and that culture has managed to Infiltrate the church to such a degree that when one speaks of holiness, it's almost as if it's unattainable And yet God calls us to be holy clearly. We are called to be holy So here we are then, saying, Lord, we've got a problem. I'm not holy. Now, I'm not talking about positional sanctification. I'm talking about practical sanctification. And, and you know, the reality is, is that God calls you to be holy. And, and, and it's difficult for God to bless and to use what is not holy. And so we arrive at a place where we say, Lord, make me holy. And I think that, you know, you look at, at um, you know, Lot's life and you look at, at uh, uh, his wife. And, you know, they're calling him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, as they're leaving, what does the wife do? She looks back, right? And she's lingering after sin when she should have been hastening after holiness. And so, you know, that lingering caused her to long for something, and she became a lasting monument to what sin will do to you. Now, our call is to walk this walk of holiness. And so having said that, I think we have to to ask ourselves, how does that look? What what, what does it sound like, you know, in all? And I think, you know, we get back to that issue of of, um, uh, hatred of sin, sensitivity to sin. And I think it behooves you and I to pray, Lord, make me sensitive to sin. Make me sensitive to the effects of sin. Because I think in the church today, as we, if, we're, you know, if we're honest, uh, we would all like to be holy. But the reality is there are issues of sin in our lives that we've allowed to camp there for a little while. And God says, look, if you'll give that to me, I'll take that out of your life. And, and some of us need to do that for the sake of others. Is that a fair statement? That I think people are just looking around to see if it can actually be done. That maybe we've all kind of settled for something that's less than what God has called us to. And then the Lord is saying to maybe you or you or you and he's saying, look, step out. Be separate. Be different. Get that sin out of your life. Don't compromise with it anymore. Don't allow it there. Get it out of your life. Whatever that may be, it may be something you set before your eyes. And the Lord says, look, I want you to get that out of your life. You say, What? Well, I just go to PG-13 movies. God says, I don't want you to do that, though. I don't want you to do that. If those people do that, that's fine. They can do that. I don't want you to do that. And God calls you out. He's calling you out. He's saying, I want you to be separate. And other things you may do that are not sin to somebody else, but the Lord is saying, look, that's now sin to you, and I want you to do something about it. And then you respond to it. And then somebody else looks at your life and goes, I'm not sure what's happening, but that person over there is changing. Now, it would be silly for me to say, now you go do that. Because it's we're not able to, right? It's that fleshly nature. It's like saying flesh, kill the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to die, right? So we got to go into our prayer closet. Oh, right there is grieving, isn't it? you got to go into our prayer closet, then do what? Close the door, get down on our knees, begin to pray. How many of us are always grieved when we say, we should, you should be praying more, Christian? Right? Doesn't that give us all a little bit of... We're all immediately condemned a little bit because we know we're not praying enough. But may I suggest to you that just go do it anyway. Just get on your knees, take your old fleshly bag of bones and force him down on the carpet. And when he starts crying about it, keep him down there and begin to pour out your heart to the Lord. I would suggest to you that the Lord is just waiting for you to do that. That, you know, that, uh, let me say this just by way of clarity. Most of us have devotions every morning, right? That's what we do as Christians. We have our devotions. And, and they may, may last 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour, whatever. I think that's all great. But I would suggest to you that you can't live off of that. that. That God is saying to you, look, that's great, that's wonderful, but I want you to come away with me. It's like this friend was in my office a while back, and he says, you know, I could not believe what my wife said to me the other day. It's a true story. I said, what'd, he, what'd she say, Dave? She looked me right in the eye and she said, we just don't spend any time together. And he said, look, I get up with her. I help her with the kids. We have breakfast together, often lunch together. We have dinner together as a family. We're together all the time. And we go to bed and wake up together. I can't believe that she said, I would like to spend a little time with you. And, and, and I looked at him, I got this grin on my face. and I said, That's hilarious, man. Because that's exactly what the Lord said to me the other day. God, I get up with you. I have my devotions. I think of you. And at the end of the day, I think of you. I'm reading the word. And I'm, I'm, I'm studying it. And I'm teaching it. And I'm working for you. And I'm serving you. And, and all. And then the Lord said to me one day, I'd really like to spend some time with you. I thought, oh, that just hurts. God, that hurts. Well, so I've just been waiting for you. And then you take your old body in your prayer closet and you get down on your knees and God says, let's talk for a while. You ever notice how uncomfortable that is physically uncomfortable? And the older you are, the more uncomfortable it is. Right. And, and so I've got this like this prayer mat that I've doubled over in my office. And, and that's what I use for my knees. But if you call me or come into my office and you lay a heavy on me, when you're gone or the call's over, I close my door and I shuffle over to my prayer mat. I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, that's not mine. That's yours. And I'm not going to hang on to it. Nor am I going to try to work the situation. I'm not smart enough. And I give it to the Lord immediately. Get it off me because I can't handle it. Right? Keeping current with the Lord. And other times, I don't know about you, but I have this pact with God and I said, Lord, if you wake me up in the middle of the night, and I need to be wide awake, Lord, I don't mean I can't do the kind of sort of awake, because then if I'm groggy and I go to pray, you'll hear me sleeping inside of five minutes, Lord. That doesn't work. I need to make you need to make me wide awake. Well, it's so cool because the Lord does that. Do you know what I mean? Does he do that to you? Middle of the night you wake up and you go, Wow. I am wide awake. I used to start complaining about being wide awake at three o'clock in the morning. Why am I wide awake? I don't like the fact that I'm wide awake. And then my wife told me, You need to pray the A through Z. So okay, I'm gonna pray for Adam and then I'm gonna pray for you know, Betty and then Charlie and then and and the whole time the Lord's going, <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Could I have a word with you? I'm busy, Lord, I'm praying to you, can't you tell? <laughs> You know, And you work through the whole thing and and all, and then you get fussy and then you finally get back to sleep and you wake up at 5 and you're like, I didn't get very much sleep last night. And the whole, whole time I think the Lord's going, wow, that's a slow boy. That's a slow boy of mine. He's a pastor too, right? And then, and then it's like the Lord went, you know, that's me. And I've been trying to get your attention that way. And then you go, oh, wait a second. And you get up. And you start talking to the Lord when nobody else is around. You begin to pour out your heart. And God says, look, I was waiting for you. And what does God do with that? It doesn't just change your prayer life. God changes you. And he says, look, the longer you spend with me, the more I'll change you. You want holiness? Be with me. I'm the holy God. You want to change? Spend time with me. I'll change you. I'll make you different. And all of a sudden, that prayer life takes on a whole another flavor to it. And you're glad that God wakes you up. and You're glad that he points something out to you. And you're glad that he does it. And you get up and you go, oh, man, wow, thanks. And then you just lay it out before the Lord. And what happens? You become more and more sensitive to sin in your life and sin in other people's lives. And it creates an environment of holiness. And then the Spirit of God goes, I can work with that. I would suggest to you the church is somewhat powerless because the holy spirit isn't able to abide in the church because the holy spirit says look i need a platform of holiness to express myself i need a platform of holiness to express myself god is not going to send his spirit to abide in a life that's filled with sin is that a fair statement contrastingly god will have his Holy Spirit in a life that is separate to him. Because he goes, I got one. I got one. Okay, I'm going to move right there. And the next thing you know, it's like we were at the, we were having breakfast in Missouri, I think. And this gal came up and she served us. And the Spirit of God just said to me, you got to say something to that gal. So she came back and I said, you know, young lady, can I ask you a question? Because I'm an old guy now. And she said, sure. And I said, it's kind of personal. She kind of hesitated and she said, okay, go ahead. I said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? She said, wow, that's so weird. I was with my girlfriend last night, and she picked up a Bible and started reading, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I don't know. And now you ask me this, oh, wow. And it was too funny. This young girl, she was like 22, and she was pregnant, and she was going to get married. And, you know, we got to share the gospel with her, and I kept emphasizing to her, don't worry about church and Christianity. Get with God. Get with God. Spend time with God. I don't think God cares if you go to Calvary Chapel or the Baptist Street church down the street. Or that street. Or that street. Or that street. <laughs> that street. <laughs> God doesn't care. What God does care about, though, is are you with him? And he says, look, come be with me. And if you'll be with me, I'll change you. And don't we all want to be more like God? And we're like the psalmist with the Lord when I wake in your likeness. Isn't that what we all long for? And so along comes God. And you need to do it for those that are around you guys. And I think men have to lead out. Is that a fair statement? Men must lead. Fair statement? Okay. So I'm down in the mall in California. California is a freaky place. Going to a pastor's conference, we go to the mall because the, there's the there's a the C28 store there. Guys, you know what a C28 store is, right? Christian store run by Christians. They have really cool shirts of the bomb, and oh, they're really cool. Sorry, and uh, and so we're going in the mall, and I notice all the guys are wearing these super skinny tight jeans. Have you seen those? They're called like skinny. Are you with me? Is this something they have in the south? Seriously, right? These skinny jeans are like super super tight skinny little. My, my forearms are bigger than, than some of them guys' legs. I mean, they're just skinny. And then they've got these, these, these hairstyles that they just look feminine. And I, I was watching all these guys and I was thinking, what is this? What is this? And so we go into the c 2 a store, the Christian store, and the guy behind the counter looks just like him. And so we start conversing and he has this really kind of high voice. I'm like, dude, talk like a man. And then, you know, we're having this good conversation and then he starts laughing and I kid you not, it is a high, high pitched, girly laugh. And I said to him, you cannot, as a man, have that laugh. I forbid it. it, it I forbid it. And he laughed and he said, how should it be like this? Oh, and I said, correct. And do not change. And I had two other pastor friends with me, and we were rolling, because then he started laughing again. And it was so high-pitched, if I closed my eyes, it sounded just like a woman. Now, women are great, but men should not sound or act like women. Amen? And so men must lead. We are adventurers. We like the adventure. We like the pioneering. We like the go and the do and to fight. We like to fight. We like a good war. Even a personal private one. We like them. Let's wrestle for a while. I think that's normal. And when a guy doesn't... Guys ought to... You know, when they, when they start thinking feminine, they should just run into a wall. Right? Just run, bam, and go, oh man, that really was stupid and it hurt. That's what guys do. You reach down and eat some dirt. Just grab something, put it, chew it, spit it out. That's a guy thing. Why? You know, go watch some football or something, WWF, whatever it is. Watch something manly. Go kill something. Do something. Not another man or woman. But, you know, go, go be a man. And I think that God is saying to us men these days, in these last days, God is saying to us, men, I need you now more than ever. I think being a Christian these days, and I'll wrap up, but I, I think being a Christian these days is a lot like voting. You, you notice how many people don't vote? How few people vote these days? I think being a Christian's like that. That your your one walk, your one faith, your one personal walk with God is representative of perhaps a hundred that used to. Your one statement, your one stand is probably representative of a hundred that used to walk with the Lord or a number that now have so compromised that you really can't tell if they're walking with the Lord or not. And God is saying to us men, I need you now more than ever. And the thing has become so precarious and the church is on the brink of capitulation from her position and her responsibility that God is saying to men, I need you to man up now. And manning up with God is not about going out and being macho. It is about being man enough to get down on your knees. It is about being man enough to say, I am going to get up. I am the quietness of the morning, and I'm going to go into some prayer closet. I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to put my head down on the carpet, and I am going to tell God, I need him to change me. I need to be different, and my past life is unacceptable. And my lukewarm Christianity is just not going to do. And all the little sins that are always around me must come to an end. It's not okay to look at that girl. It's not okay to make that look, to take that glance, but rather to say to the Lord, I don't want to look, and you need to make me that way. And there's other things I want to change too. I don't want to look at certain things on TV. I don't want to read certain things. I don't want to say certain things. And I don't want to hang out with people that do. I simply want to be separate for you. God says, I've been looking for you. I have been waiting for you. Now let's do this thing. And other people will look at you and go, that's a holy person. They're different. They're separate. May I suggest to you men and those of you that are parents, your kids need you to be holy. They absolutely need you to be holy. Those of you that have grandchildren, they need you to be holy. Be holy for their sake. Prove to your fellow Christian that it can be done. And there are really only two kinds of people at the end of the day. Those that are longing to be holy and those that are content to not be holy. Spurgeon said this, of all the griefs the church ever feels, the keenest is when those who once stood in her midst... Dishonor the name of Christ by unholy living. He went on and he said, Some professing Christians spend the first days of each week sowing their wild oats. Then they go to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. It just doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. God says, Look, Don't linger at sin, but hasten to holiness. Don't linger at sin, but hasten to holiness. Run to God and cry out that he make you holy. That'll be all that makes the difference. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I didn't come here to be exhortive. To anyone, and you know that. No plans whatsoever to do that. You know that we left home with a simple desire to just travel. And to be here with Dawn and Lori, Lord, you know how refreshing that has been to us. And yet, Lord, you put it on Dawn's heart. And this is the message you put on my heart. And so, God, we must conclude that this is your will so I pray for this group of believers Lord that you would stir up in their hearts a great longing for the pathway of purity and the highway of holiness and that you would do it in such a way that legalism wouldn't creep in burdensome wouldn't creep in condemnation wouldn't creep in but just that acute sense of sin and and then a response to it that you would create a deep, deep, deeper sensitivity to its presence, a hatred for it and a longing for its removal. Lord, do that for your kingdom. Do that for your purposes and your plan. How we need you, God. How we need you to move upon our hearts. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. God, in praying this, I in no way want to, want to imply that this is not a group of people who are, and in fact, actively seeking you and your holiness. And Lord, bless them for it. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said? Mm-hmm.